we've always had men's product in the stores, but over time, the women's product was so successful that the men's real estate just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then it was in the back and a focus starting about a year ago on men's has been tremendously successful. The men's business right now, growth is incredible. The product line looks amazing. You know, I think that there is white space right now in the men's market with some of the classic American brands sort of falling off. And honestly, with men wanting to have more of a say and be a part of the fashion conversation, I think men want to feel relevant now more than ever. And what Kevin and the team have done is to really design a men's line for people who want to look put together without wearing a suit and look sophisticated, but with a little bit of whimsy. Welcome to the Glam and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Takara Suet, head of partnerships at Wavebreak. On this show, we talk with leaders of beauty, fashion, and lifestyle brands. We dive into their stories, lessons learned, and perspectives on how the industry is ever evolving. Subscribe and join us each week as we glam and grow. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call. Joining me today on Glam and Grow is Mary Ellen Coyne, CEO of Jay McLaughlin. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I am really excited to have you here. This is your first podcast, so really going to make it as painless as possible for you. But before we dive into <laughs> Thank brand, you. Yeah, I'll do my best. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your, your background and your time at Ralph Lauren and sort of what brought you to Jay McLaughlin. Sure. So I have always been intrigued by fashion and retail. Um, you know, my mom, the two years she worked before getting married and having seven children were oh, wow. in as a lace buyer in the garment district in New York City. Um, and she had impeccable taste. Uh, my dad has impeccable taste too, but my mom really has outstanding taste. And from the time I was 16 years old, my first job was in retail. I worked at Lord & Taylor in the baby department. And in those days, you were allowed to spend money at the store and deduct it from your paycheck. And every week I ended up owing Lord and Taylor money because <laughs> I could never cover what I was buying with my paycheck. You are the dream employee. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was a very long time ago. We still were using cash in little boxes that we handed in at the end of the night. Oh, wow. um, but it was it was always it was always in my blood. Uh, I went to school for marketing and minored in finance and fell into retail, honestly, in a very unusual way. I was interviewing at banks. I had two interviews in New York City on the same day, and I was getting on a train to go visit my friends to go to a concert in Washington, D.C., and I had time, I had one hour between the time my interview ended and the train left from Penn Station, so I walked through Macy's Herald Square, and on the first floor, I bought a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses, and I like to note that my 24-year-old son now has the exact same style, so I should have never given them away. Oh, that's cool. We, um, but the gentleman who sold me the sunglasses was the head of recruiting and asked sort of what I was doing. And I had just graduated from school and long story short, the Tuesday after Labor Day, I was working and I was in the Macy's training program, which was great. 
I then went on to most of the big names. I went to Ann Taylor, then Banana Republic, then Victoria's Secret, and ended up at Ralph Lauren, where I stayed for 19 years um, and had an amazing, amazing run, um, really unbelievable experience. And thought that I would stay forever until I got a call to come speak with the people at Jay McLaughlin. That's amazing. Um, I'm curious, you know, having your background be, you know, from bottom of the totem pole, so to speak, you know, working like on the floor in retail from such a young age to now becoming CEO. How do you think you've approached a brand perhaps with a different perspective working in all areas of a business instead of maybe bouncing from more senior roles. How do you think those learnings from the time, even when you were young, have affected you even till today? Those learnings are invaluable. And I I truly believe that anyone who runs a retail brand or retail stores should have experience working on the floor. There, There is nothing like working retail. And we, you know, to this day, all of the senior people on our team work in, work in the stores, you know, before the holidays when it's really crazy. Um, I, I met actually, actually one of our top clients I ran into coming out of the 93rd and, and Madison Avenue store the other night. And I, I, I said to her, the first time I heard your name and understood who you were, I was wrapping gifts for you in the basement of the Madison Avenue store. And she said to me, oh, that's so nice. You must have been promoted so many times since then. And I said, no. I was wrapping them as the CEO. Like I love to be in the store and, you know, and I, so I said, what do you need me to do? And they said, wrap gifts, which I'm good at. So I, I think having that, that, that um, experience is invaluable. I also have been super fortunate that I came up through product development, then merchandising, then design. So at a point in time, you know, when I was at Banana Republic, especially, um, I traveled around the world and I learned how to knit a sweater and how, what it looks like to put fusible on the inside shoulder pad, you know, of a, of a jacket of a constructed garment in Italy. And we had offices all over Asia. And I think that, that too, like, I think the more you can learn about every segment just prepares you, uh, for when you take on a senior role and you're, you under, it gives you a much greater understanding of what everyone has on their plate and how to help them solve issues. Yeah. And like diving in deeper into those understandings, like what are some of the big, at a high level, the biggest learnings that you've like implemented or how are you able to spot perhaps like different issues that maybe another CEO who, who hasn't had that sort of experience? How do you think you approach it differently? But you approach it from the eyes of the person who's bringing you the issue. So, so I think rather than it being a tops down approach, you are really, you know, I always feel like I am on the ground with the team and thinking through it the way they would think through it. Um, you know, as, as you, as you grow in your career, it's interesting. You get to do so much less of the work and what you really, what you really do all day and what you really want to be good at is leading people and bringing out the best in people, right? And when you have a team, you know, at Jay McLaughlin right now, we have the most amazing team and I've worked with wonderful, wonderful teams. And I've stayed in touch with people that I've worked with 30 years ago, but this team of people, incredible talent and experience an incredible balance of tenured leadership and then new additions who have fresh perspectives, a really dynamic team who cares about each other and cares about the brand 
that's the most invaluable thing that you you can have. And I think, you know, as, as a leader, you are constantly like, I, I always say like, I'm just the conductor. Everyone there is the fabulous musician. It's just my job to bring it all together and really bring out the best in them. Has there been anything about stepping? I had another founder on on the podcast and and she similarly sort of started in store. And then she said, you know, the most tedious part about seeing being CEO was all the financials and documents and things of that nature. Like what's been the most surprising part about stepping into a CEO role that maybe you weren't expecting? The most surprising thing was the first day when I got there and realized that I actually had the ultimate decision every single day. Like that was the most daunting part of it was, wait, I don't have anyone else to ask actually, (laughs) Um, which which I will say for that reason, you know, some of the groups that are out there and especially all of the support around female CEOs and female CEO groups and the Forbes CEO summit and, um, you know, chief that's doing a great job. And that is really so, so important uh, because I do think when when you are the CEO and, and you have a question, it's great to have a team of people, of peers that you can you can both go to for advice and also offer your advice. I think it's invaluable. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Okay, so let's dive into Jay McLaughlin. For anyone listening who's not familiar with the brand, which would be surprising, but perhaps someone isn't, tell me about the brand. Tell me the brand story. And let's start with that. Sure. (laughs) So the Jay McLaughlin is the most amazing brand. It was founded in 1977. So we're 46 years old by two brothers, Kevin and Jay McLaughlin. Um, They were both going to graduate school and they were renovating townhouses in Brooklyn and flipping them to make money. Um, so there was a, there was definitely a natural penchant for real estate, but then Kevin was also working on the Upper East Side in a men's store. And so the idea that they both loved sort of fashion and real estate came together and they decided they would open a store. They literally walked the block that they wanted to be on and knocked on every single store owner's door. And until they found someone, a woman who said that she would give up her space, they offered to move her to the D&D building and they physically themselves moved her and her lamp business and then built the first store, which was on 77th and 3rd. So they wanted to be near Mellon's. They were very clear. Um, The brand has always had the most simple strategies and the real estate strategy is one of them, which is open charming stores that are very welcoming in locations where people like to spend time. Um, But the brand actually was founded on what we still have today, the four key pillars. And the brand's mission is to create meaningful relationships with customers and engage their communities, fitting seamlessly into their lives by providing them with well-made, distinctive clothes and accessories and a culture centered around a passion for the absolute highest level of customer service. It all comes back to relationships with our customer here. We start and end our day with what the customer is thinking, what the customer would like. Um, you know, the guiding philosophy of the brand, again, from day one, has been to make a customer, not a sale. So we don't measure traffic. We don't measure conversion. We truly believe that if someone comes into our store and they do not buy something that day, and by the way, this goes for online too these days, if they go on the website 
and they have a pleasant experience, if they just leave with a smile on their face, we know that they will come back and they will ultimately convert. And when they convert, they will become a loyal fan of the brand. We're, we're so confident in that approach. Um, and it's worked. It's worked for all these years. And as as it obviously has retail has evolved and e-commerce has become such an important part of everyone's business, you know, we believe the same thing. Our our goal is to drive sales across a 360-degree platform that leverages stores and online. We want to create an ideal shopping experience that allows our customer to, to shop however and whenever they prefer. And, and again, it's for us, it's all about that customer experience. Okay. So we have to dive deeper into that, although that could go into so many different directions. But like, so are you sort of saying... Um, you don't track it. You're not retargeting from a from a digital perspective. Like, what exactly does that mean? So, digital will will absolutely retarget. Um, but we are when if you know when you are in our store environment, we will be friendly. We will offer you water. We will you know whatever you'd like. But we will never be. There's no pressure for a sale ever, ever. Um, and we have so many. We have a very very loyal customer base. Um, our customers, we, first of all, our customers are the nicest people you would ever want to meet, and they are fiercely loyal. They um, they come in often. We have many customers in our stores that will come in every morning when they walk their dog and say hello. We have some that come in once a week. We have some that come in once a month, and they're not buying every time. But when they're when they need something or when they like something or when they see a new collection, they'll buy it. It's it's just a very different way of thinking about the sale. And so how do you execute like or implement this culture from like the top down? I mean, I love that. Like personally for myself, if I go into into a store and I'm harassed, I, I really don't appreciate or enjoy that approach. But um, also, I think it would be really difficult in, you know, 170 plus retail stores to ensure that every single employee like approaches in, in the same way. How is there sort of a quality control um, from a culture perspective? Well, we we have an amazing the the woman who runs our stores, Deirdre, is amazing at culture. That that is, you know, when when you say like, what is your superpower? That is hers. Um, and she and um, you know, she and our VP of stores. We have two regional managers. We have ten district managers, and then obviously all the store managers. Um, and and really, the way Deirdre has managed to maintain that culture for the last sixteen years, um, we are very we visit our stores frequently and we're in touch with the stores all the time. And, um, she, I really credit her with being able to drive that message down to the regionals, to the district, to the store managers. Our store managers are very, very, um, they take tremendous pride in ownership in the store and we allow them to, you know, it's, it's our goal to make them feel as though it is their store. And, and they do, they own the keys they, you know, are constantly telling us what they believe should happen in their neighborhood. And we, we let them really feel that ownership. And we believe in our store manager. We have an amazing, amazing store team. Amazing. I always say the magic of Jay McLaughlin is the stores. And what we do every day at corporate is support their efforts because, you know, that that's where the brand truly comes alive. Yeah, I definitely want to dive in deeper, you know, retail versus, you know, e-commerce and D2C. But let's talk about how the brand has evolved. Like you mentioned, the brand's been around for 46 years, which is incredible. So talk to me how the brand has evolved from, 
you know, catalog to like retail and just like from an aesthetic perspective, branding, how has the brand evolved? Sure. So um, I joined seven years ago. And over the last seven years, the team has done an unbelievable job elevating the product, the presentation, the processes, and all of our platforms. So first and foremost, as you know, in retail, it all starts with product. And the the idea of this classic American sportswear and accessories, but with modern relevance has been our guiding principle. So the brand was historically way back when it started known to be very preppy, a lot of bright colors, and that heritage continues and we we still own and you know we we have patented over 1200 prints right now in our office and we love to do print, but we've balanced that with enough programs of solids that again are relevant, they're not trendy. Our customer doesn't want to be ahead of the curve. She doesn't want to be stepping way out. Um, She wants to be timely. She wants to feel modern and she wants to feel relevant. And in that way, we've created a much broader offering so that you can wear a printed dress or a printed tee, but you can also be dressed in Jay McLaughlin. I mean, listen, I live in New York. I am dressed in black or gray every day, head to toe, and white and navy in the summer. And every time I go somewhere, someone says, oh, what are you wearing? Of course, I'm wearing Jay McLaughlin head to toe, including the shoes now that we've launched footwear. Um, And people are surprised. And we're getting so many people who are now shopping the brand because that's an option. And while they're there, they may buy one of the bright colors, but but it's an option to be tonal. um, And and that has really, really helped us grow not only the business, but our customer segments. Uh, How do you approach, you know, you mentioned trends and that it's more of like a classic effortless style. How do you, how do you approach retail trends and staying on the forefront, you know, obviously with competition and things of that nature, but stay true to that heritage? How do you approach balancing that? Well, part of the magic of that for us is that Kevin McLaughlin is the creative director. So you've had consistency for 46 years and Kevin's team that, you know, responsible for design and development and manufacturing. Uh, The lead on that team has been with Kevin for 23 years. And then the two people that that she sort of relies on have been in the brand for 20. So there, there absolutely is this consistency, but it's also a very measured approach. So when we kick off a season, we start with what happened last year in that season and what did the customer absolutely respond to? Also, what is she responding to or he responding to right now at this moment and and thinking about what's new? And then it really comes from Kevin, who's sensing color direction, print direction, all of those things. And when it comes together, we're evolving what we do. We're not turning it upside down. So, you know, if, if last year's black pant was this side zip and now this year everyone's talking about it has to have a pleat. Okay, we'll do a black pant with a pleat. It's an update to a fit that they know. The other thing I should mention, we name our fits and women love our pant fits. And for, um, embarrassed to admit how many years I've been doing this, it's 30 plus. Um, Specifically, in- I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just like, like doing women's fashion. Oh, okay. I think when you get, to, when you get a pant that fits and a, and a, and a customer 
over the phone, you know, we have associates call and say, oh, this, you like the Lexi jean? We just got two colors. And they say, send it to me in my size, always knowing that it's going to fit perfectly. When you can, when you can say that about your pant business, you have a loyal customer for life because women are very particular about the way their pants fit. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's sort of that, like how we evolve things each season and not turning it upside down. You know, if we have an amazing cashmere sweater that's selling this year, you know, what's the new proportion that's just slightly different for next year. So it's fresh, but familiar. They just need an update, not to turn everything upside down. Ooh, I love that fresh, but familiar. Um, you mentioned these 1200 patents, which like, forgive my ignorance, but I would not necessarily think you'd be patenting all the prints, but of course that makes sense. Um, talk to me, like, it, it seems like, you know, on a deep level about like Kevin's process, like what is the process for, you know, discovering these prints that, you know, can, you know, align with the heritage and are evolving with Pantones and trends and things of that nature. How do you patent a print and, and how do you create a new print? So we have an art department. So we have artists who work in house um, but Kevin and the team also are scouring the market, mostly vintage prints. They go, you know, they're in Europe twice a year, but then here in New York, they're constantly having print houses come in, showing them original artwork, vintage or new. And then if, you know, and, and often the team is buying artwork that when you see the ultimate print, it's amazing that they had the vision for it because they then change, you know, in, in-house artists are changing the scale, changing the colors, changing a leaf they don't like, you know, but, but you're buying all this original. And so when we find, when we finish the print, as we are going to run it, that's when we patent it. Um, and we have, we're constantly patenting things, you know, as the, as we process through the years and then letting some go and patenting more and, and really just, really just to have ownership of that artwork. Yeah. I think that's fascinating because I mean, forgive my ignorance. I, I never personally worked in fashion, but I feel like there you can see like a lot of brands sometimes have the exact same print. They're sort of these generic prints that, you know, whoever's manufacturing it, it just sells it in bulk and, you know, people yes. try to own it, but they, but they don't. And I think it's really important if you are going to have some sort of brand with prints to, to really have a distinguishable print. Otherwise it's sort of a, uh, it's an, the, the fashion business is very interesting from that perspective. There's a lot of, uh, copying. <laughs> yes, well, we, exactly. Exactly. We know, we know we have a good print when I visit a store and a customer refers to the print by name to me. And then I'm like, wow, you really shop at Jay McLaughlin a lot. You know, the name of the prints, not only the pants. Wow. It's very funny. If you listen to this podcast, you likely know that Shopify is the go-to e-commerce platform, helping millions sell to billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing in person at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. <laughs> Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. With Shopify POS, you can take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. The best part? With Shopify POS, effortlessly unite your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. 
Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash glam, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash glam to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash G-L-A-M. Now back to this episode. Yeah. And, and when you recognize like these customers and these data points, you know, of what's been successful and what hasn't aside from sell through, how are you recognizing like what's been successful? Like, for example, if you update a pant, um, how do you know if it's really resonated with the customer aside from sales? What are you analyzing to, to really understand how the customers have responded to something new? Sales is the best way to measure that, honestly. And you see immediately uh, when we ship something to our stores, we obviously every morning we're reading what what sold um, and it's in an almost an immediate response. And you listen. And we also we have calls with our, our district managers and, and we get feedback from them. And but you can see right away the sell throughs here in the brand are very high and they happen very quickly because a customer is in so often if something new hits the floor, we very quickly can see if it's going to work or not. Um, And then again, you know, the team in product development does a great job of, you know, reacting. If we do a, you know, read and response, we test something, we see it's working, we can get back into it fairly quickly. Um, And the good news is when we have a pant that works like that, it's often a two to three year cycle that the customer loves that pan, right? So you can keep running it for two to three years before you need to move on. Interesting. Um, so like you said, you, you've been at the brand for a little over seven years. What, what are some of the initiatives that perhaps you, you had, you know, wanting to start from the beginning, what have you done in the, in the last seven years or what projects have you brought um, in terms of expanding into men's line? You mentioned shoes. Um, were those all spearheaded by you? Yes. So the first project was really product and presentation. And Kevin and I had a fantastic time working on all of that. Also, the project was rounding out the team, right? Because there are such amazing leaders who had been there for a long time, but we definitely also brought in some some newness. And and what what we've created in terms of this culture of just this amazing teamwork has been fantastic. I always say, you know, when 2020 happened, I could have never, we could have never made it to the other side of that without, you know, the seven people that were on a call twice a day to figure out what, how we were going to get through it. And this team's amazing. So, uh, but that being said, when, when we sort of felt like we had the women's product, you know, in a great place, which did not take long at all, we then did, we launched footwear which has grown exponentially. We really, we really think about what does our customer have in her closet that's ours? And really, what else can we provide for her? And when you just think of a, a great shopping experience, when you're buying a dress or a pant, to have that shoe to try it on with, and then that shoe be the perfect shoe that goes with the dress or pant, it seemed like a natural. So we launched footwear is the most significant category we launched. We also launched eyewear. So we do readers and sunglasses. Um, we launched swimwear as a as again, as a service business, we sold a lot, we sell a lot of resort clothes and a lot of cover-ups. So we now do swim, but footwear, the most significant of them until we got to men's and it took us a little while to get to men's. Um, you know, the business was amazing. And then the pandemic hit and, but 
about a year ago, we brought on a consultant to work with us on men's. We've always had men's product in the stores, but over time, the women's product was so successful that the men's real estate just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then it was in the back and a focus starting about a year ago on men's has been tremendously successful. The men's business right now, growth is incredible. The product line looks amazing. Um, You know, I think that there is white space right now in the men's market with some of the classic American brands sort of falling off. And honestly, with men wanting to have more of a say and be a part of the fashion conversation, I think men want to feel relevant now more than ever. And what Kevin and the team have done is to really design a men's line for people who want to look put together without wearing a suit and look sophisticated, but with a little bit of whimsy. So it, it really, the line looks great. The business is great. We are opening our first only men's store in Palm Beach on November 2nd. We are very excited about that. Um, yeah, so that's 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 where we are to date. That being said, there's so much more we can do. You know, we're we're so excited to think about number one, other geographies, number two, other product lines. Um, you know, th- there's more to come, but right now the focus is is men's. Yeah, that's super exciting. And I'm curious, has this brought in for you all an entire new customer base? Or is this sort of the the husband, so to speak, of, of a current shopper? Or do you find a lot of like women are purchasing for, you know, a male in their life? Um, or has it brought you an entire new, new customer? The good news is both. The, the sales right now are predominantly the woman who's shopping in our store, whether she's buying it for her husband, her son, her brother, her father, you know, all of that. And 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 I'll I'll, t- I'll touch on that in a minute about multi generational. But uh, right now, that's that's predominantly the customer. But the male customer coming in, related or not related to a female customer, is growing every month. And we're so excited as we watch that and as we start to really craft men's only lists, men's only emails. Um, we're able to build that because we're we're really starting to get traction with a, a man who's in the store shopping. Yeah, that's fantastic. Talk to me about this multi-generation. I find that very interesting. So I, I neglected to say this before, but you know, our customer who's amazing and nice and predominantly female, um, you know, tends to be between the ages of 45 and 65. But what we're seeing so much of that's so fun for us is this multi-generational where three generations are in the store at the same time. So it would be as if I was there, my mother was there, and my daughter was there. So you have a 20-something, a 50-something, and a 70-something. It's it's amazing. And everyone is buying. And every, like so recently I was, you know, over the winter, I was down in um Florida, one of our amazing stores, Ocean Reef, and we watched this unfold. And we just had so much fun watching everyone shopping. And then actually more of the family came in to shop. So it was just all these different age groups and and more and more that's happening. And what, you know, what I've come to realize with this Jay McLaughlin brand is there's a moment in your life when the brand really becomes, you know, in line with your lifestyle. So, you know, when you're in your 20s, this is not a brand that most people are wearing. But as you 
you know, as you get married, as you have children, as maybe you move to the suburbs, maybe you get a, a higher level job. Like there's a point in time at which these clothes are clothes that are the right price point for you, are the right classic look for you. Um, and when we see much of that and much more of that now, as we're looking at generationally, um, you know, people who grew up with their parents loving the brand are stepping into the brand and, and finding out why. Yeah. And how do you think that that has evolved? Has it been with the rebrand or just like some involvement from a product standpoint? Because like, even for myself, looking at the site and just being in stores in general, I wouldn't automatically sort of think, oh, this is something like myself in my twenties, it's, it's something I would wear and gravitate towards. So I'm curious how, like your, I, your, your ideal customer, I don't know if you call her, she, you named her who, how that's evolved into who, who she is or who they are. Yeah, I think that I think you just hit it. I think it's who they are, right? So it's our core customer who has stayed with us, tried and true, then telling their friends, their friends telling other people. And it, as that branches out, and especially now that with digital marketing, I think digital marketing has allowed us to really be able to get imagery out that people didn't necessarily expect from us. And, you know, as you mentioned, the rebrand. I'll just touch on that a little. So after all of this hard work and us feeling so great about the product and the stores and the team, we knew it was time to really get the word out there in a more meaningful way than we had been. We have a terrific catalog business and we have industry leading results in terms of response rates and sales per book. Our customers love our catalog. They come in with it and they pages folded down and they buy full outfits. Um, But what we decided was it was really time to make a statement that we looked more modern and relevant. And that is what led us to hire Trey. And to your point about outside brands that you asked earlier in the store, you know, that's sort of, we've never hired an outside person to do any creative for the brand. So this was really stepping out. But Trey is incredibly talented and he has an amazing track record amplifying brands like Tiffany and Coach and Boss. And um, and he happens to be just the most lovely person. And when we had breakfast with Trey, Kevin and I, he loved the brand. He just loved what we were doing and was so excited to help us amplify. So that that's how we landed with Trey. And in addition to refresh styling, casting imagery for the fall books, he also, we worked with him on new packaging and a new logo. Interestingly enough, the new logo is the logo from 1980. So it was an interesting look back to move forward. I think that and was great. Thank you. And then really just, uh, you know, our new packaging with a very sophisticated update to the signature blue. It's much more intense um, and has been, all of it's been incredibly well-received and we're super excited about that. Yeah. The color is stunning. I, I think it looks beautiful. Um, Thank you. Let's talk about D to C versus retail. Obviously you have a really strong retail presence. I'm curious as the brand has evolved, obviously it's a, it's a lot to cover 46 years of involvement, but as the brand sits today, what is the split between uh, retail versus D to C, and how do you holistically, you know, keep keep the program of you know retention and everything running within the brand? So, you know, e commerce 
represents roughly 25% of our business. So stores are 75. Um, and oh, that's, a, that's a, I feel like these days, that's a split that we're honestly, as a true brick and mortar main street retailer, we're very comfortable with. I believe the percentage will go up slightly as we really lean into men's and footwear because they tend to be businesses that are more concentrated online, but somewhere between 25 and 30, I think is where the brand will always stay. What we try to do every day is truly emulate the experience that you have in a store on the site. Obviously not entirely possible, but to the extent that we focus on the creative, to the extent that we have added live chat, digital stylist, very frequent and refreshed blog content, we're constantly trying to tell the brand story on the site. Um, and the beauty about the site is it allows you to show every product that you have. You know, if you're in a very small store, they might not have all the product. You know, the site always has everything. We also have a very seamless order management system. So if you order something online and it's not in the warehouse or you're, or you're in a store and they don't have it, you know, we can get it to you in two days. It's very, very efficient. We also have an amazing customer service team. Our customer service team sits in Greenpoint with us. They are not remote. They have come, they, they have come from the stores. So they really understand the selling experience and the product and they do an amazing job upselling. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been a very interesting ride. Clearly e-commerce in terms of the percentage growth is the highest, but the stores are by far, far the biggest business. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, touching on digital, I'm curious from a marketing perspective, um, what's worked best for you in terms of what channel do you even do paid or is it a lot of like the retail presence feeds into the digital? We do paid digital advertising. Um, actually, 2021 was the first year that our paid digital surpassed our catalog spend because we had historically been a catalog business in, in terms of marketing spend. Uh, we use an agency out of LA, W Promote, to do our paid media. And they do a great job. Obviously, you know, Facebook, Instagram, you know, or Meta, Instagram, you know, whatever we want to call it these days. Um, and Google are the largest. Um, but, you know, we do paid search. Um, we do Pinterest. Uh, we do a little bit of YouTube. You know, this is the most, you know, I, I love to say in this area, change is the only constant, right? So it's just moving so fast. The good news again is our customer under is, is aware of all of it, understands all of it, is not the first person to jump. So we weren't jumping to TikTok. We weren't, you know, and ultimately we'll see. Maybe that will be the platform that someone in their 40s uses because 20 years ago, people would have never said that Facebook became the mom way of communicating. And, and now most people would say it is. Yeah, that's interesting. Although I feel like, like I said, I feel like um, I could see the brand resonating with a younger audience. It'll be interesting to see over time, like not if, you know, you do have a strong TikTok presence, for example, if you end up really gravitating towards a Gen Z customer as opposed to, you know, the 40 year old who's who's on TikTok, which I refuse to get to. Expect. Yeah, exactly. Exact, same. Same here. <laughs> one day, one day I'll have to cave, I guess, but not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um Let's talk about philanthropy. I would love to highlight the philanthropic uh, component of the brand because I think that's really important. So tell me more about that. 
It's so important. And, and again, as we go back to our customers and talk about weaving ourselves into their communities, we truly believe in giving back. And we truly believe in that being at a very local level. So we host over 1,600 charitable events a year. Um, so at any point in time, we could have three going on on any given night. Uh, we give back to over 900 charities. And it is all about what our customers would like. So we, we're constantly asking for the charities that they're involved in. And then we are hosting events that give back, you know, we give back a percent of proceeds to, to that. Uh, it is absolutely core to what we do as we ingrain ourselves in our communities in local towns. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's awesome. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about, about your life. I'm curious, just looking back on your career, or even at your time at Jay McLaughlin, what's been the most challenging thing that you faced or, or the hardest decision that you made? The most, I mean, obviously the most challenging thing is juggling it all, right? So you're, I have three children who are now adults um, and juggling a career and, you know, running your household and raising your children. It's a lot. Um, And I think I was fortunate enough to realize two things. First of all, I was fortunate enough to be mentored and to work for some incredible women. So I'm a huge fan of mentoring and I sit on two advisory boards, but I also really pride myself and my children like think it's crazy on having anyone call me for advice. Like people call me all the time for advice. And I'm, I always want to be that person that can help anyone who's, you know, who's, who has something that they're having a hard time working through. Um, but the two things I realized, one was when my oldest daughter was one years old, I realized, I realized I had missed everything. I was just traveling all the time, missed the first word, missed the first step. And I, I'm very grateful to this day that I had that moment of recognition because it very much changed my outlook. I think you have to be really clear what your priorities are. Um, and that will change over time. But um, having that moment of realization was life-changing for me and, and the way that I moved forward with my three children. I'm extremely close with all of them. Uh, I'm sure you can imagine. So Um, but the other thing was I gave up on the idea of perfection. Like I am a perfectionist by nature. I am a very type A person and I'm a Libra. So everything has to be aesthetic and meticulous. So, um, you know, my, my oldest daughter, Jillian, when she was born her first three years, her wardrobe was from Paris because I was spending a lot of time in Europe on shopping trips and she never left the house unless she looked impeccably dressed And she was going to the park to get dirty. You know, by the time my third daughter, Catherine, was born, I said, if her clothes are clean and she has an adorable bow in her hair, she will be fine. Like, this is like, I think we give, I think women are too hard on themselves and we think it all has to be perfect. And I think the most important thing you can do is show up for people, your family, the people that work for you, your friends, you know, and, and have the best intention and give it your all. And that's the best you can do. And I think people really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And then fast forwarding to today, like even just like, what does a day in your life look like? Like how, what is your workflow or your best tip or trick for being productive and as CEO, making sure, you know, I'm sure so many things are thrown at you every day, like where to best utilize your time, probably on an hourly basis. How do you, how do you best manage everything? And what's your approach? Um, I have a completely open door policy. People walk in and out of my office all day long. 
Um, I try and keep an hour for myself in the middle of the day to honestly stop in case something's urgent or someone really needs something. Um, I exercise in the morning because I need to clear my head and I know I'll never, I'll never do it when I get home. I'm like, never. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I just, you know, no two days are the same. They're crazy. And that's what I love. That's what I love about what I do. Like it's when the things get turned upside down. Um, it's sort of like, I thrive on that. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Uh, for my final question, what's next for yourself and for Jay McLaughlin? For me, it's strategizing and executing the next stage of growth for Jay McLaughlin. There's again, we're so excited about what we've done, but we know that there's so much more we can do. Um, So I'm thinking I have another five years in me to really power through before I want to retire somewhere in the South of France. And so, um, yes, but I, but definitely there's tons to do at Jay McLaughlin and we, you know, we have a five-year plan and, and I think just, just executing that will be fantastic. Is there anything you can share in terms of the the vision for that or or we'll have to just wait over the course of the next five years and see? I can tell you it involves Europe. Ooh, okay. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Some sort of global extension. Yeah. That's yes, that's- yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today. I really appreciate it. For anyone listening who wants to find out more information on yourself and Jay McLaughlin, where can I direct them? They can email me. Just mcoin at jmclaughlin.com. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Or check out our website, you know. Awesome. We'll be sure to link that in the show notes below. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to leave a review and subscribe to all future episodes. For show notes and resources mentioned, go to glamandgrow.co. This show was produced by Wavebreak. If you're an e-commerce marketing leader who wants to take your email and CRM program to the next level, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call.